You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Well, today I want to talk to you about the eagle and the lamb. The eagle and the lamb. If you would, take a moment to go ahead and write that down in your program. That's the title for my sermon today. The eagle and the lamb. I'd love it if you wrote it down because I worked hard on that title. And uh, I think it's pretty clever. And hopefully you'll see that it's clever too. But the eagle and the lamb. Uh, You know, growing up, many of you might have been taught that there are a couple things that you never talk about at the dinner table. And those two things are religion and politics. But this is Sunday morning and there is no dinner table here. So we're talking about both of them. All right. Uh, Real quick, I just want to take a poll because one of the things being a public speaker that um, you should always know is your audience. Like one of the things they teach you is you should always know your audience, who you're speaking to, to make sure that what you're saying resonates with them. So I want to take a quick poll just to find out a couple of things. First, uh, how many of you love politics? Raise your hand. Okay, one. (laughs) How many of you hate politics? Raise your hand. Great. Uh, How many of you don't care about politics? Raise your hand. All right, let's do a different sermon then. Um, so, like, that's like the majority of people. I don't even know why we're doing this then. Uh, you, you know, with November coming up, we're, we're electing a brand new president. And I wonder how many of you love this season of campaigns and debates and light, late night talk show appearances from candidates. Just raise your hand if you love this season. Okay, one or two, great. How many of you can't wait for November to come and go so we can be done with this? Maybe you can make some noise on that, right? Okay, <laughs> almost everybody. Great, well, this <laughs> good. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you feel this way. I was, I was looking online, and I came across this meme uh, that somebody posted of how they feel about their choices for the candidates this year. Maybe you feel this way. Uh, I don't know, I thought it was, I thought it was funny. Maybe some of you feel that way. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you, though, you, you heard, like, on social media, or you were here last week, and we said, hey, we're going to be talking about politics, and you just came because you feel this way. <laughs> right? So that's, that's some of you. You're just like, hey, I'm here. And, and some of you, though, um, like, I imagine there are probably some people who didn't show up today because they probably thought, you know, there should be a separation of church and state, and the church shouldn't talk about politics and, and all this stuff. And so they decided not to come here. And maybe some of you feel that way today. And, and you're maybe a little mad about this, but you came anyway because you feel this way. So, so you're here, and you're like, all right, I, I just want to see what's up. Um, but, but politics... Um, can be an interesting thing to talk about. And, uh, but before we move any further, I just want to um, just kind of set the stage a little bit. Uh, first, sometimes people say, uh, well, there should be a separation of church and state. And because of that, the church shouldn't talk about politics. Uh, but this is a phrase that often gets misunderstood and misconstrued. So uh, I want to explain it real quick. Uh, this is the first time we've ever talked about politics as a church. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Um, but, but the second thing is this. When it comes to this phrase, separation of church and state, this is a phrase that Thomas Jefferson used uh, in the 1800s when he was writing a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association. And he put this in this letter to them uh, to kind of reaffirm the First Amendment, which the First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law uh, recognizing an establishment of a state religion or exercising um, the free practice thereof. 
And so really what the First Amendment says is this, that the government is going to operate as the government, and the church is going to operate as the church, and there's not going to be a marriage between the government and the church. They're going to be two separate things. This is where Thomas Jefferson gets the phrase, the separation of church and state. The reason why uh, this was put in the First Amendment is because the colonists, our forefathers, left England for one of these reasons, because there was a marriage of church and state. See, England had a state church, the Church of England. And the king of England was the leader of the church. And so the church and and politics meshed and mixed. And uh, our forefathers said, we don't want that. We want the government to be the government, and the church is going to be the church. Now, this does not mean that religion has to be taken out of the public spaces. This does not mean that the church can't talk about politics, but what it means is that the government is not going to institute a state religion. To make it more clear, the government is not gonna say Christianity is our official state religion, the official government religion. They're not gonna say Buddhism is the official government religion, but, but it says we're gonna do our thing, you do your thing. But again, it doesn't mean that the church can't talk about politics, and sometimes people think that. But even if it did, even if that's what Thomas Jefferson meant, even if that's what the Constitution says, Thomas Jefferson and the Constitution are not the authority in the church. How many of you know there's a higher authority in the church? Right. So, politics, politics. Um, Like I said, it's tough to talk about politics because sometimes people get riled up about it, right? People have passionate views about politics. And you know some of these people because you had to unfollow them on Facebook, right? (laughs) Like there were some people who they were feeling the burn and you weren't. And you were like, okay, I get it. You're down with the burn, but I'm going to have to unfollow you until November comes along, right? So some of you, you had to unfollow some people because you were tired of seeing Trump hair everywhere. You're like, all right, I've seen it on a cat. I've seen it on a corn stalk. Now I'm done with seeing this. And you had to unfollow some people. Some of you, after the 18th meme about Hillary Clinton's emails, you just said, I'm done. I can't keep following you. Like, like some people are so passionate about politics, and and if that's you, that's good. That's fine for you to be passionate about politics. It's fine to be passionate about a a politician. It's good to be passionate uh, about a party. Be a donkey, be an elephant, and be that with pride. Like, do your thing. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but some people are really passionate about it, and, and that's a good thing. But what I found is that for most of us, we feel like bystanders in the parade of politics. And what I want to do today is I want to help give you a new mindset on how to navigate through the political parade. And this is where the eagle and the lamb come in. Um, See, we all live uh, in a country that's represented with an animal. And we all know what the animal is. It's an eagle, right? The eagle is like the national symbol for our country. And the eagle was chosen because it, it symbolizes strength and longevity, and so this is why it's our, it's our national animal. It's like our symbol for an animal. Um, and also, in our country, we live in a two-party system, right? Um, and often what happens in countries with two-party systems is the two-party system kind of perpetuates itself. So maybe you felt this way, maybe you said this, or maybe you've heard somebody say this. Uh, you say, you know, I don't really like the choice of candidates, but I don't want to vote for somebody else because I feel like I'm throwing my vote away or my vote won't really count. And, and because of that, uh, oftentimes people feel like they have to vote for one of two parties, and because of that, we have a two-party system that just continues to perpetuate itself. And often because we have a two-party system, uh, it's referred to in, in two different ways. We have left-wing and right-wing, right? 
We have liberal and Democrat. We have, uh, uh, I'm sorry, we, we have liberal and conservative. We have Democrat and we have Republican, right? Left wing and right wing. And sometimes people ask me, Pastor, which one are you? Are you left wing or are you right wing? And I say, well, I just care about the whole bird, right? Like, let's just care about the whole bird. But, but people ask me, which one are you? Because we live in this two-party system. We live in the empire of an eagle. And so I, I want to figure out today just kind of what should we do? Uh, who should we follow when it comes to politics in terms of our faith? And I'm going to give you the answer right now as to who we should follow uh, in our system. You ready? If you're a Christian, you should follow Jesus. Okay, I didn't see anybody write that down. All right. <laughs> Maybe you were thinking I was going to give you something more profound. But really, you should follow Jesus. And some of you, when you hear that, you're like, yes, of course, we should follow Jesus. Duh, everybody knows that. And because we follow Jesus, we're going to be Republican. Because we all know that Jesus was a Republican. I mean, look, there was that one time, right, in Matthew 26, when Jesus said he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he said he's going to put people on his right and on his left. And the people on the right are going to go to heaven because the right is right and the left is wrong. And so, of course, we're going to be Republican. And some people hear that and they say, no, no, are you serious? If we're going to follow Jesus, it leads us to be Democrats. Because, I mean, think about Jesus' ministry, right? He went around healing people. What do you think that was? That was Medicare. That was Medicaid before it ever existed, right? And then there was that one time where Jesus fed 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children, with two fish and five loaves of bread. What do you think that was? Welfare. Jesus was the OD, the original Democrat. If we follow him, it's going to lead us that way. And, and some people might hear that and say, no way. If we're going to follow Jesus, it's obvious he was a democratic socialist. Because there was that one time, right? That one time where a rich man came to him and he said, Jesus, I want to get to heaven. What do I got to do? And Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What do you think that was? Redistribution of wealth. Burn, baby, burn. Like, if we're going to follow Jesus, that's where it's going to lead us. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're like, are you kidding me? Nobody would ever think that Jesus was a Republican or a Democrat or even a Democratic Socialist, because we all know he was a Libertarian, right? I mean, John 8, 36, Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free, indeed free, like free from under the watchful eye of the government, free like free market, free like liberty, Libertarian. All right, I'll stop being silly with y'all, but, but, but see... The truth is, when it comes to who we should follow, the answer is Jesus. But that answer isn't very helpful sometimes because it leads us kind of back into the same place. And maybe you follow a certain party because you follow Jesus and it leads you to one of those parties. But, but, but the problem is um, we can look at the life of Jesus and the things that Jesus said to try and back up our political persuasion. Politicians can use Bible verses like 2 Corinthians to find anything that they want to, to say what they believe in and, and, and to back themselves up. And so, so what does it mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? I, I, I wonder if following Jesus actually means something different than cramming him into a political party. Uh, I, I wonder if following Jesus means something more than making him ride on the wings of an eagle. What if, what if instead of trying to fit Jesus into our political system 
and make him say what we want him to say to back up our political views. We allow Jesus to be the Lamb of God that he is. But what if instead of picking between left wing or right wing and choosing the way of the bird, the way of the eagle, we said, I'm going to follow the life of the Lamb. And what if Jesus offers us a third option? So what does it mean to follow the Lamb while living in the empire of an eagle? In order to answer that, I need to call on the witness of history um, and take a look at how the Lamb himself lived in an empire of an eagle. See, not only is America characterized with an eagle, uh, but Rome was symbolized with an aquila or an eagle. Uh, the eagle was the symbol of Jupiter. Jupiter was the king of the gods in Roman mythology. Uh, he was Zeus in Greek mythology. And the reason why Rome chose uh, an aquila or an eagle to symbolize their nation is because for them, an eagle meant might and valor and strength. And they would often go into war with an eagle on their standard to let uh, their enemies know that they were there to conquer them. And so this was what it was for Rome. Uh, often in the Roman Empire, uh, the eagle uh, was seen with these four letters with it, S-P-Q-R, which is an abbreviation for the Latin phrase, Senatus Populusque Romanus, which means uh, the Senate and people of Rome. And so everywhere in Rome, you would see the eagle and S-P-Q-R etched on buildings, woven into banners, and imprinted on money. And the reason for that is to remind people that you are citizens of Rome or you've been conquered by Rome and you're subject to Rome. Either way, you're in the empire of the eagle and this is how we do things and this is what you're subject to. The Roman Empire rose to power in 27 and lasted until 476 AD. And at the height of its power, the Roman Empire spanned over three different continents, uh, Asia, Africa, and uh, Europe. And as it spanned over these, these uh, different places, uh, th these continents, uh, there was a time where they boasted about Pax Romana. Pax Romana means the peace of Rome. And so Rome said, we're a peaceful empire, but here's how Rome achieved peace. They conquered the territories around them, and they would go into these territories with their eagle and say, you're either going to submit to us in a peaceful manner, or we're going to decimate you, and there's going to be peace. Either way there's going to be peace. You're either going to submit and let us conquer you, or we're going to show you through force. And this is the context in which the Lamb of God is born. This is the context. This is the empire that Jesus enters into. The Lamb is born into the empire of an eagle. Now, Israel, uh, which is the context of the New Testament, uh, was first conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., Later on, the Assyrians were conquered by Babylon. Babylon was conquered by Persia. Persia was conquered by the Greeks. If you remember world history, Greeks, uh, Alexander the Great was part of this. And then the Greeks were conquered by Rome. And so for about 700 years, the, history, uh, the nation of Israel was handed down to a conquering nation over and over again. So for 700 years, Israel was an occupied people. They were subject to an empire. They weren't free. They weren't their own people. And for 700 years, the Israelites, the Jews, cried out in eager anticipation for the Messiah of God to come. Because for the Israelites, the Messiah was this political figure 
who was going to come, and he was going to restore the nation of Israel back to the days of King David. He, he was going to overthrow the ruling empire, and he was going to set up this brand new kingdom of Israel. So the Israelites were longing for this political figure to come and make all things new. And Jesus enters into the scene, and he says that he is this Messiah. Now, the Israelites tried to make him the king, but he didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did come to, bring all thing, to make all things new, but not just for Israel, but for the whole world and for all people. And so Jesus came to be the Messiah, but he came at a higher level than what people were anticipating. And so because of this, when Jesus enters the scene, the, the empire of an eagle, um, we see that he interacts with the eagle in a very subversive way. Uh, because Jesus had this broader perspective. It's like, okay, th this is what's going on here uh, in this country and in this empire, but I've come to bring something so much bigger, so, something so much greater. And because of this, it causes Jesus to be very subversive uh, with the politicians at the time and also with the political way that Rome uh, was run. And so, like, like there's this one time... Um, where Jesus is standing in front of Pontius Pilate, uh, who's about to sentence him to be crucified. And Pilate says to him, um, so your followers say that you've come to bring uh, a new kingdom. Already that's subversive, right? Because wait, you're here to bring a kingdom, but you're in an empire now. There's already a government. There's already a kingdom going on here. And you've come to bring this new kingdom. Tell me about it. And in John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said this in Matthew chapter six, and when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Over and over again, in the Gospels, we hear Jesus say things like this, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is here in your midst. See, Jesus came to establish a kingdom, but not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom, a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. This is what Jesus came to bring, and it's all higher than what we experience in our political systems. Jesus came to bring a new way. There's this one time... Um, just to, just to help understand the perspective that Jesus had. Uh, there's this one time where these Pharisees, these religious leaders, come up to Jesus and they say, hey, should we pay taxes to Rome? And uh, they, they ask him this because they wanna, they wanna uh, kinda trap him in his words. See, the Pharisees were jealous about Jesus' ministry and they thought that they had him with this question. It's like they're playing this, this uh, intellectual game of chess and they're like, hey, should we, play, uh, sh should we pay taxes to Rome? Check. And Jesus is kind of in a tight spot here. I, I mean, it, it seems that way. Because if Jesus says, uh, yeah, pay taxes to Rome, well, then he loses the following of the people. Because what he's saying is, pay our oppressors. Pay the people who have, who have been occupying us. Yeah, yeah, support the government that, that's oppressive to us. And the people don't want to hear that. But if he says, no, don't pay your taxes, well, now he's like subversive to Rome and he's an insurrectionist. And you know what Rome does to insurrectionists, right? They crucify them. And so the Pharisees think, we got Jesus trapped. 
Like, if he says, yeah, pay your taxes, then he loses his following. If he says, no, don't pay your taxes, then he's dead. But here's what Jesus does. And it's almost like, like when I read it, um, I, I might be projecting this into it, kind of like how you do when you read an email, right? Like somebody sends you an email, and depending on what mood you're in or what relationship you have with them, you interject a tone with them, and they're like, hi, I hope your day is going great. And you're like, hi, I hope your day is going great. Why did they say that to me? And you're like mad about it. So don't do that. Don't do, we believe the best. Like ask them, hey, do you mean this? Anyway, so, so I just kind of interject what I think Jesus is saying, and, and, and I see him kind of almost frustrated, almost like, are you, are you kidding me right now? Like they come to him. And they say, should we pay our taxes? And again, Jesus is here about something greater, something bigger, to set up a whole new kingdom that, that's far beyond anything they could imagine. And you're asking about taxes? Taxes? So Jesus says this, bring me a coin. Here, here, give me a coin. And then somebody's like rummaging through their pocket, and they bring a coin to him. And he says, Who's, whose picture's on this coin? They're like, well, Caesar's. He's like, great, well, fine, then give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Like, just give it back to him. Like, like, he changes our perspective. It's, it's like he's saying, you, you think your money's your money, but it's not. Like, whose image is on it? It's Caesar's. Well, if Caesar wants some of his money back, then give it back to him. I'm here about a kingdom. I'm here about something bigger. I don't have time to deal with that stuff. I'm here for something bigger. It's like, he, it's, it's like ah, sure, fine, do that. Like, this is the system we're a part of. Yeah, make it happen, but, but, but don't get so sidetracked on that. Let's get focused on what we're really about. There's another time um, where this guy comes up to Jesus and he says this. He says, um, he says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, what do you say? And the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and he's like, yeah. Um, and Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And then he says, but, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the guy responds to Jesus and he says, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Who, who's my neighbor? Because I know some people who, and here's what Jesus says. He tells him this story. He says, okay. And again, this is all about the kingdom of God. This is what it means to live for God. He's trying to change our, mind spec to, uh, our, mind, our mindset to elevate us to something higher. Here's what he says. Okay, here's, here's who your neighbor is. Uh, there was this one guy, a Jewish guy, right? And he's on his way, um, he's on the Jericho Road, and some robbers rob him and beat him and leave him for dead on the side of the road. And, uh, and then there's this, um, there's this priest who comes walking on the road to Jericho, and he sees the guy, his fellow Jew, lying half dead in the ditch, and he like crosses the street and walks by on the other side, and he doesn't help him. He just leaves him there to die. Like, he's probably on his way to church, right? I'd love to help you, but go praise God. And then he says, oh, and then, and then there's this Levi who comes by, this Levite. Now, a Levite was somebody who was def- descended from the tribe of Levi, who the Levites could be the, could, were the only people who could be priests. And he says that this guy comes along, so this is a real religious guy too. And he says that he sees his fellow Jew dying and instead of going to help him, he like crosses on the other side and walks by. I got more important things to do than to help you. And then Jesus says, a Samaritan comes by. Okay, you don't get it. Um, when Jesus says this to his audience, they would have been like, 
uh-uh. No way. A, what? A Samaritan? He says, and then a Samaritan comes by. Here's why. Because for the Jews, they hated Samaritans. They hated them so much they had a nickname for them, dogs. <laughs> they called Samaritans dogs. Here's why. Back in their history in 722 BC, when they were conquered by the Assyrians, what happened was Assyria deported people from Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel at the time. They deported the Jews living there, and they moved in themselves. And there were still some Jews there, and they intermarried with them. They commingled, and then um, the Samaritans are born. These are like half Jew, half Assyrian people. And so for, for, the, uh, for the Jews, they, they regarded the Samaritans as half-breeds. They looked down on them. They, they didn't like them at all. Like, like th there were times... Um, if you look at the, the geography of Israel, Samaria is right there in the middle. And if somebody needed to go uh, from the top of, of Israel to the bottom of Israel, they would actually go around Samaria. They wouldn't cross through Samaria. That's how much they hated them. And so Jesus said, the Samaritan comes along. And his Jewish audience are like, no. -uh. Oh, man, what's he going to do? He's probably going to, like, kick him while he's down. And Jesus said, what happens is a Samaritan goes up to him, he picks him up, puts him on his own donkey, bandages him up, takes him to a hotel, pays for his, uh, for his stay there, and tells the innkeeper, hey, if you need any more money, uh, let me know, and I'll pay it for you, and I want you to nurse this guy back to health. Like in Jesus' story, the enemy, the person who's different from me, that other guy is the hero. Like, for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven goes beyond borders. For Jesus, the kingdom of heaven goes beyond race. Like, if Jesus were to tell that story today, I just want you to see how scandalous this story is when Jesus told it. If he were to tell it today, it would be the, the equivalent of, uh, and then this illegal immigrant comes by and he helps this patriotic American get better. Like, this is how Jesus viewed the kingdom that it goes beyond borders, it goes beyond race. Uh, there's this one time where Jesus, um, just before he's, he's uh, gonna be crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and, and here's what he prays. Uh, he says to God, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Talking about his disciples and people who would believe in him. He said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Why? Because they're different. Because we're different. Because we're, watch this, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Jesus said, I've come to bring a whole new way, and the people who follow me are in this world, but they're not of it, because they're of a brand new kingdom. They're about something bigger now. They are no longer uh, aligned with the empire of the eagle, first and foremost, but they're in the kingdom of the lamb. We, if you follow Jesus, if you've said yes to him, then you're saying, God, it's your way over my way. I'm a part of a greater kingdom now, and my allegiance is to the lamb first and foremost. Because of that, I live differently. Because I'm aligned with the lamb, I love my enemies, because that's what he told us to do. Because I'm aligned with the lamb, I forgive 
Because that's what he told us to do. Because I'm aligned with the lamb, I'm generous. Because that's what he told us to do. Because I'm aligned with the lamb, I take the posture of a servant to help others. Because that's what he told us to do. And oftentimes, the way of the lamb is contrary to the way of the eagle. See, for Jesus, it was like we're part of something so much bigger and greater, and the empire of the eagle didn't understand it. We're in the world, and we're not of it. You, you see this understanding, too, not just from Jesus, but also from um, his followers, right, and the language that they used. Um, see, in the time of Rome, um, there, was, there was this worship of the emperor, and uh, there was this inscription that was found on a, on a political building uh, in 6 BC, just a couple years before Jesus was born. And here's the inscription that's written uh, to Caesar Augustus. And uh, I want you to see if you notice any religious rhetoric in this. Here's what it says. The most divine Caesar, we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling and tending toward dissolution, when it was all falling apart, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura. Caesar... The common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the beginning of the new year. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection and giving us the Emperor Augustus, our being sent to us and our descendants as Savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order, having become God manifest. Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the good news, which is the word gospel, concerning him. Doesn't that seem like a religious text to you? But this, this is a political inscription about Caesar. Because at the time, people worshipped those in politics. At the time, people saw those in politics as the one who held their hope. It said that uh, Caesar was this God manifest. See, what would happen uh, in ancient Rome is this, is that um, these euangelistes, which is the Greek word for evangelists, would go out and spread a euangelion, which is the Greek word for gospel or good news. And so if Rome had conquered uh, another nation, these evangelists would go out and spread the good news, the gospel of how Rome was winning. Uh, if a new Caesar was born, these evangelists would go out and spread the gospel, the good news about the birth of the son of Caesar. They would go out and they would, they would share how, how Caesar has brought about new life to the whole world. And what happens is Christians get a hold of this political jargon and they say, uh, so this is the language of the eagle. Well, let's co-opt it for the way of the lamb. And here's what happens. Um, people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they, they prescribe themselves as evangelists. See, Rome had evangelists who would go out and spread good news, a gospel, but these Christians said, hey, we're gonna be evangelists too. We're gonna be people who go out and spread good news and a gospel. 
And what they do is they, they say, hey, um, hey, like Caesar brings life, but no, 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 no. Jesus brings life. Like, like, like you say that, that there was this birth of the son of a God, well, we have a gospel too, and it's about the birth of the son of God. See, you have a gospel that Caesar sits on the throne ruling the empire, but we have a gospel too about a savior who was crucified for our sins, who resurrected, who ascended, and he sits on the throne of heaven forever. See, we got a gospel too. Yeah, you got a gospel, but our gospel's better. See, these... These Christians took the political language of Rome and they co-opted it for themselves. It's language that we use now. Because see, back then, uh, Caesars would call themselves uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Christians came along and said, you think you're a King of Kings? A, a King of Kings and Lord of Lords? No, 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 no. Jesus is a King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, Herod, who was the, um, the king of Judea, was often referred to as the king of the Jews because uh, the Jews lived in Judea. There's a time where Jesus is standing in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pilate says, hey, these people say that you're the king of the Jews. What he's saying is, hold on, hold on, we already have a king of the Jews. His name is Herod. Have you come to take his place? It's subversive. Uh, an emperor like Domitian called himself Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. These Christians came along and said, no, 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 you're not Emmanuel, but Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. See, what happened at the time is people in Rome would say that Caesar is Lord, but Christians came along and said, uh-uh, <laughs> Jesus is Lord. That's political subversiveness. They said, because we are a part of something greater. We are a part of a bigger kingdom. And because this is true, because you and I are part of something greater, because we're a part of something bigger, what that means is that we need to put our faith in front of our politics. And so before I'm a Republican, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a Democrat, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a whatever it is that I am, I'm a Christian, and I allow my faith to determine how I live because I am a part of a greater kingdom. We should have this view that it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, 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 we are citizens of America, and we love this country. We're grateful for this country. But beyond that, first and foremost, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But before that, we're citizens of something far greater. Because here's the thing, nations come and go. Kingdoms rise and fall. But the kingdom of God will last forever. And so yes, 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 I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. What's the rest of that? And I won't forget the men who died to give that right for me. Yes, yes, yes. On 4th of July, blow some stuff up. Let's remember it. Yes, we love the eagle. 
But, 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 I pledge allegiance to the Lamb, the Son of God and man, and to his church, indivisible, with strength and mercy and salvation for all. Our allegiance is first and foremost to the Lamb. Because if for nothing else, we don't go to Washington, D.C. when we die. Nobody has ever asked for portions of the Constitution to be read at their bedside as they take their last breaths. We serve in a greater kingdom. We're part of something bigger. So don't allow what's going to happen in November to get you afraid. Because our God is in control of it all. Whoever sits in the seat of the presidency doesn't hold the fate of the world in their hand. But our God does. And he knows what's going to happen before it ever happens. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, your citizenship is in heaven. I want to ask you today, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter who sits in the seat of the presidency. But here's what does matter. Who sits on the throne of your life? I wonder for you, have you been looking to the government to save you, to bail you out? Have you been looking for your job to sustain you and provide for you? Maybe you've been looking to yourself to save yourself. If that's the case, then you sit on the throne of your life. But in the kingdom of heaven, there's only room for one person to sit on that throne, and it's God. Because he's the king, and I'm not. He's the king, and I'm not. He's the king, and I'm not. In the, in the kingdom of God, it's not a democracy. It's a kingdom. It's a monarchy that's ruled by our heavenly Father who loves us. We don't get a say. We don't get a vote. He's the king, and I'm not. I wonder today, do you need to make the decision to step off the throne of your life and say, God, I'm going to allow you to rule. I'm going to allow you to be the king. Maybe you've never made that decision before by making Jesus the savior of our life and following him, making him also the leader of your life. If that's the case, I want to give you an opportunity today to do just that. When you came in, you received a program on which you've been thoroughly taking notes on the whole time. And at the bottom of that program is a connect card. At the bottom of that connect card is a box that says, I want to accept Christ and be baptized. If you've never made Jesus the king of your life by allowing him to sit on the throne of your life and lead you, if you've never been baptized into him, I want to give you the opportunity today to make that decision. Would you mark that box, fill that card out, and drop it off at the black tables as you exit? We want to talk to you about getting baptized and what that looks like. And for the rest of us, we've made that decision. We've said, yes, Jesus, you're the leader of my life. You're the king who sits on the throne. And in a moment, we're going to remind ourselves of that truth, that our hope is in him, our faith is in him, and that he holds all things as we take communion. In a moment, members from our VIP team are going to come down. They're going to pass out trays 
down the rows in those trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has a piece of bread that was uh, that is serves as a representation of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And the top cup has some juice that reminds us that his blood was shed for us. At any time during this next song, I want to invite you to take communion. And just remind yourself that you have nothing to be afraid of. That you're in this world, but you're not of it. That your allegiance is first and foremost to the lamb. And secondly, to the eagle. Would you just remind yourself that you have hope in a greater kingdom? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. God, we know that in the history of Christianity, politics have gone all sorts of different ways. God, I'm thankful that we're not under a Caesar who persecutes us and kills us like Nero did, like Caligula did, like Domitian did. God, I thank you for the freedom that we have in this country. I thank you for the privileges that we share, for the rights that we have. But more than that, God, I thank you that you washed our sins away, gave us a new life, a life in your forgiveness and grace and mercy. I pray that we place our hope in you and know that you're bigger than anything we may face in this life. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.